All right, friends. Well, we have been talking about God as our Father. We're talking about becoming a new family. And now, well, we're finishing up the year talking about how we bring new people into the family. And uh, these messages have ho- focused on hope and healing uh, that we get to offer to our world, to our friends, our neighbors, to our immediate family. Now, I, I planned these messages almost a year in advance. I think we started in April. And we've ended up in a different place than I expected, but I'm certain we ended up in the right spot. So let me explain uh, what's going on. Um, if you're with us in our first Peter time, we've learned that God's plan for his family is that we would draw close to him that he would give us a new identity and new values, and we would become radically different people. Living such radically different lives, other people would come to know what the Father is like. We would do these good works fueled by faith, fueled by the gospel. And so even when the world doesn't understand, even when we're slandered or people misunderstand our efforts or treat us unjustly, even if we're marginalized, we just continue to show... Respect, kindness, and more good works. Um, Now, if you live that way, I promise you, you will get people's attention. And it will draw them to the Father. And I, I would like to suggest if the church in America is struggling, it's because she doesn't understand this reality. If we live like our culture, I suppose there's nothing to compel people to look up. And yet... If we take God seriously, I'm certain that people will see the beauty of the Father through all of us, individually and corporately. Now, okay, saying that, right, treating people well that don't like you, showing good works to people that have misunderstood you, well, that can't be manufactured. And if you've been with us for any of those messages, um, you know we're talking about a radical life that can only be powered by God. Uh So we offer our community things that it desperately needs. We've talked about offering our family and our friends rest, rest that's found in Jesus, comforting them with the comfort that we've received by God. And these topics have pushed us. They've made us uncomfortable. They've often also made us hopeful. I hope they cement your sense of calling. But today's message Maybe the most important, we want to talk about forgiveness. Uh, Let's begin by considering Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32. It's a companion to what we read in our scripture reading time. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ Jesus forgave you. That's nice and tidy. It's very fast to read those verses, but to forgive the way Christ forgave you, ah, that makes us catch our breath a little bit. Because all of us have memories of hurts. We have been injured. We have been sinned against. And those wounds sometimes run so deep, they actually alter the course of our life. You say some of those wounds have healed, but some of the hurts remain. 
We have pain in our lives. And that pain is there and it holds us back from trusting each other, serving each other, and maybe even trusting God. The sins of the past keep us from believing God or showing other people what he's like. Right? So what happens is you come to a service like this and you hear beautiful things, life-giving, glorious promises. And that sort of fills your vision for about an hour. And then you leave. And then those hurts come back. And they actually eclipse what you heard. Because the pain feels more real. Right? The memories, they flash back. And that seems to be reality. And the promises of God's word seem something of a pipe dream. Uh, one pastor gives some words to our thoughts. He says, there are some horrible things that were said to me or us or done to me. There were terrible things that I said or did. There were some sighs that I, sights I have seen, even pictures I've looked at, and I would dearly love to forget them, but I can't. They continue to grip me. I don't just mentally recall them. They affect me. They grip me. They're still there in Technicolor, and I wish I could forget them, but I can't. Those are the words of many, many a heart. It says, you know, I would love to move on. But every time I try, it's right there. And it seems so real. It seems like the only thing that's real. Now, if we're going to gain the freedom of forgiveness, uh, only then will we be free to teach others how they can also escape the pain of the past and move into this joyful life that God has prepared for us. So those are the stakes. Turn with me to our text today. It's Psalm 103, 103rd Psalm, because this text contains all the tools that we need to move past, past failures and past injuries, forgiving the hurts we've suffered at the hands of others. I know that's a, that's a lot to promise, but let's look at our text. 103rd Psalm, written by David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We're going to consider more verses, but let's start here. We've got a lot to look at today. Let's pray, and then we'll examine this psalm together. Father God, in the introduction, I have promised a great deal because this text promises a great deal. As I have acknowledged, Father, some wounds feel more real than your truth. Father, we long to move forward. We long to live in the kind of joy and strength and hope that you promise but, Father, those promises have proved elusive for a very long time. But the people in front of me are my church family, and I love them dearly. I personally know the pain that can hold us back. And I know what you've done to help me grow and change. Father, I know I can't change on my own. I know my, my friends in front of me can't grow and change on our own. So we ask that as we examine this text, that we would more than understand that your spirit would help us to live these truths. 
and that we would be set free from things that have long crippled us or even enslaved us. Father, we earnestly desire to follow you. Where you teach us, we'll follow. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. This psalm, of course, is written by David, and it does invite us to praise the Lord with our entire essence. Right? Oh, my soul, praise the Lord. Talk about his value and his wonder. And then in verse 2, he warns us not to forget God's benefits. Now, the rest of the psalm is an elaboration on what those benefits are, just in case you need the refresher. Okay? Now, the word remember is key, but our English word is probably not nearly forceful enough. Right? We remember things all the time. We forget things all the time. Um, but David is inviting these realities to become so big that they actually push aside the doubts and allow God's truth to dislodge the pain of our past. So this word remember is more than acknowledgement. All right? We need these truths to actually reframe the entire way we view the world, the way we view our past, the way we view our future. These truths need to be the lens by which we view all of life. Okay, imagine, okay, you're walking with somebody, it's a sunny day, maybe you go for a walk, and you look over and say, you have a wasp on your shoulder. To which they reply, where? It's like, no, 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 you have a wasp on your shoulder and it looks angry. Okay, now they get the message, right? And you get this really physical response. They jerk, they duck, right? You know the message hit home. The first time they acknowledged you, but that reaction's not commensurate with an insect that really wants to do them harm, okay? And so when you remind them again, hey, hey, you're in trouble, when you see the physical response, you know, oh, they got it. They heard me. They understood the danger and they, and they moved, right? The same thing could be said here. We don't want to just remember as if some sort of academic exercise. Oh, yes, God is good. No, we want to physically move with this truth. Then you'll know, then you'll know that you're understanding, living out the truth. You say, when, when will that happen? Well, uh, David starts this with praise. And I would like to suggest when your heart is filled with praise to God, you'll know you're living in the reality that God insists is true. I know what I'm asking. I know how difficult that is. But I want us to set our sights high this morning. David is offering life-altering truths. And if these grip your heart, nothing will be the same. So, because I want this to be helpful to all of us, I'm going to ask you to, to think of something. Maybe you already have. It, just bringing up this topic of forgiveness and hurt and pain in the past. Would you just think about something that still hurts? Think of a memory. Think of something that holds you back. You'll know because as you call it the mind, you're going to have a bit of an emotional response. No one else will notice, but you'll feel it. You'll feel it in your soul. Would you put that thing in mind? Say, all right, God, stakes are high. You've made a big promise. This is the thing I want to work on. Would you do that with me? Okay. Nobody needs to know. You don't have to write it down. I would just like you to say, okay, this is the thing, God. This is the one that I really struggle to get past. It still gnaws at me. It still gives me trouble. Okay? Maybe you were abused or neglected or abandoned. 
Maybe you were shamed by a parent or a teacher or a family member. Maybe you lost someone. Maybe you lost something and you've never quite recovered from that loss. Today we want to use this passage to start a healing process. I'm going to be honest, deep wounds take time to heal. Uh, No delusion here. I'm I'm not a magician. But this text does give us a path. We want to start our feet down that path. Or if you're on the path, I want, to, I want to help you keep going. All right? Let's begin where the text does, with the Lord who forgives our sin. Okay? If, you're, if you're going to begin with this understanding, you have to know you've been rescued by Jesus and that he has forgiven all of your sin. Now, I know, I know. That's one of those truths that we just kind of toss around as if it's, you know, not important. And maybe that's just because we haven't allowed the truth to grip our souls. Perhaps we say, well, yes, I've accepted the fact that Jesus paid for my sin and I won't go to hell, but the shame and the pain and the relational damage, it remains. So what does the text say? Well, it says God forgives all our sin. Notice that little but all important word there. In the the English Standard Version that I'm reading here, it uses the word iniquity. And I'm going to guess that's not a word you use every day, maybe ever. It means something that is crooked or sinful. It means a misdeed or something that's offensive, okay? Uh, Which is like basically any time you do something dumb, right? Our failures. And we're tortured by our failures, right? You don't have to dig far to remember something that was embarrassing, Right, there you were, and you just wish you could pull back those words from the last family gathering or party, right, where you said something dumb and everybody stopped talking. Remember that moment? Right? Yeah, not, not good. Right? You remember those cutting words that you lashed out at somebody you loved, but it was just a really long day at work, and you saw their face, and we wish you could get it back, but you can't. Maybe you struck or shook a child, right? You just couldn't take their whining and their crying anymore. And, and you still remember. Maybe they're 40 years old, but you just remember, wow, I really lost it there. Uh, maybe in the middle of an argument, you just walked out on a spouse because you just couldn't handle the drama. Right? You're just like, I'm not dealing with this right now. And you just drove for, I don't know, an hour, two hours, a day. You just weren't ready, and maybe that conflict still never got resolved. Now, our text says that God offers forgiveness. And what does it mean to be forgiven? It means that God pardons you for all of your failure, your selfishness, your reaction. He's taken away the penalty, and he's restored your relationship to him so that he will never bring up this offense again. You say, that's pretty comprehensive. I would like to know, can you believe that? Can you accept it? You see, the problem is that when we fail, yes, people give lip service, say, well, yeah, okay, I forgive you. But the consequences of that failure remain, right? Every time you walk into that person's presence, you feel awkward, they feel awkward, and you're wondering, yeah, this forgiveness thing is a little cheap. (laughs) Like, we kind of cleared the air, But the damage is done. We're not back to where we used to be. All right? You're thinking you can feel the lack of trust. You can feel the condemnation. Or perhaps, most importantly, you no longer feel like an equal. 
But look at verse 10 and following. It says, he does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. There's our word again. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. You know what that's saying? This is saying that when you come before the Father, he doesn't treat you like a sinner. He doesn't pay you back. He doesn't put you on probation. He doesn't cancel you, right? If you failed, God meets you with a love that is higher than the stars. That means you can't measure his love in light years. But rather that love engulfs your pain, your failure, your shame with his infinite love. Notice this text insists that when God forgives you, he never recalls your failure again. Ever. Jesus Uh, Just as the east never meets the west, right? If you start traveling east, there's never a time the compass kind of flips around. It just just doesn't happen. And the Lord doesn't review your failures. If it's forgiven, it's covered and it's forgotten. And so we start here, right? Before we get to the human level, you've got to square the fact that when you stand before God, you're not estranged from the Father. You have nothing to prove You have nothing to overcome. You have nothing to earn. Why? Because if you're in the family, God calls you a chosen and precious child. You are loved and you are healed. And this is where we have to start. You need to feel close to the Father before you can deal with the the sin of the people um, kind of on a horizontal level. But we've not actually gone far enough. Because the word iniquity does mean failure or sin, but it also includes the idea of guilt. Ah, reread verse 3 with me. It says, God is the one who removes all guilt and shame. Which means, when you take that memory, and you feel so stupid, right? You don't even want to look at yourself in the mirror. I need you to know, on the authority of this text, if you've been rescued by Jesus, what you're feeling is a lie. It's not reality. You say, how could that be? Right? Uh, Well, because Jesus died to pay the penalty and the consequences of your sinful, selfish choices. And that makes you free. And God stands with you in infinite love, and he wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to cleanse that defiled conscience and make you free. He teaches us um, over and over again. He restores and satisfies us. Now look back at verse 10. Right? We say, okay, so God is willing to forget what I've done in the past, but God doesn't give you what you deserve. This is, this is maybe, uh, just be honest with me, okay? We come here as family. God never treats you as a failure or a screw-up or a misfit. You approach the Father robed in the perfection of Jesus, which means when you stand before the Father, you stand before him flawless, and he will always treat you that way. Always. You don't have to grovel. You have to do, don't have to do penance. You don't have to work hard to show your sincerity. And so as we talk about this, and I've asked you to drudge up something embarrassing, can you feel his love surrounding you? Now I want to invite you to struggle with this. I want you to know it's okay. 
that some of you are listening to my voice and saying, yeah, I'm not there. I'm, I'm not. It's not fair, right? How could I possibly look at the face of my Savior or God and not feel small? Well, it's because you don't deserve it. Neither do I. We remain broken. But that robe of perfection on your shoulders doesn't belong to you. It's yours because of Jesus. And we have his record. And we're free because of his perfection, not our efforts. So smile. You really are free. And the Father will always treat you that way, like his son. You've you've got to believe that. Right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how insulting it is to the Father when you come in and grovel or you ignore his presence? See, the Father already knows what you're going through. He knows the failure. And Jesus died. He took that failure very seriously. Jesus died to pay for that. To begin cleaning up the mess, which you could not do. And he has his infinite love. And he's beckoning you into his presence because you need help. You say, no, I can't go. Come here. I alone can fix this. Come here. And don't grovel. Hold up your face. Right? Why? I do this. So we let the regrets go. God has gotten his way. Your life, your failures, and your selfishness has not altered God's plan at all. It's not in our text, but it's a beautiful reality, right? So you say, oh my word, I've made all of these mistakes and life will never be the same again. That, that may be true. Your life path is altered, but you're not off of God's plan. You haven't rocked the cosmos. You haven't ruined anyone else's life. You, you just haven't. God knows everybody's plan, including the plan for your husband or wife or your children or grandchildren or your friend or your neighbor or your coworker. He knows what's going on. And that plan involved you. God even accounted for your failure. That's great news, isn't it? I I need that. I need that reality. Otherwise, it's not safe for me to get out of bed in the morning because I will fill my day with mistakes. And to know that God has chosen me and has invited you and chosen you and brought you into the family because he delights to show himself through you, even, even in the middle of your flaws, makes it safe. Gives us rest. Breathes new life into to us and we let go of our pain and regret and loss and we recognize that God forgives, yes, but he is also working to restore us. Go back to verse 3 with me. There it says God has welcomed you into the family as a flawless child. It says you are chosen and loved. And God has committed his spirit and his love and his power to your restoration. And some of you want to believe this, but you look in the mirror and you say, but God, there's just still so much wrong. It it remains. The flaws remain. The plane is present. I mean... You feel so out of place. Well, look at the text again. It says that God heals us. From what? Well, it says diseases. Right? God is the great physician who heals all things. And we we could pause here, and some of you could give testimonies of how you've seen God restore you, your life, your strength. Some of you still feel weak. But... I want you to know that God is guiding and directing your life. And he's actually guiding you with the strength he supplies. He says, I want you to do this, and this is how much strength I'm giving you. And maybe I need to slow you down, so I'm going to take some of that strength away. You can trust what God has provided. 
But take God seriously when he says he heals the body and he heals the heart. Let's look at 2 Corinthians to understand this a little better. This is Paul writing, and he's writing, and you know, it's been really hard, but God has sustained us through shipwreck and through pain and near-death experience. He writes, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And Paul has the audacity to say, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Right? So you read in the 103rd Psalm that God heals all of your diseases and you say, yeah, right, look at me. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Life on this cursed rock we call earth is terminal. Okay? None of us get out of this one alive. We just, we just don't. All right? Unless the Lord takes us home at the end, um, we're all going to die and we're all going to shed these flawed bodies. But don't be afraid. Okay? We're going to cast off this robe of flesh and be covered with that which is perfect, strong, and glorious. Right? So we are waiting for the restoration of our bodies. God will keep that promise about every disease. He's not playing games with you. But you've got to admit, for some of you, you long to be done. You don't want a patch job on this one. Right? You want the new model. You want, you want this flesh upgraded. But I've got to tell you, today, while you may be struggling with limited strength, God is renewing your spirit. That's going on right now. The restoration of our hearts. You don't have to harbor fear or loss or bitterness or anger. God eagerly wants to heal you and renew your spirit so that you become stronger and more joyful every day. Now, I promise you that's possible. You say, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. There are people and they failed you. You wanted a promotion, but you were ignored. You, you gave away your heart to someone, and they, they betrayed you. Okay. And God steps into the middle of your pain, and he lifts up your head. The pain is real. You see, one of the problems is the event is in the past, but, but the consequences of that event happen, and you feel them every day. Right? Somebody's poor choice, maybe somebody not driving well hits you, and you, you've, your body's been out of whack ever since. Right? The consequences, they greet you every morning. There they are. So there's no such thing really as past pain. It's, it's still there. But the Father, he begins with your heart. He begins with your heart until you gain the confidence of Joseph who says, yeah, you meant it for evil, but the Father, God meant it for good. And so we want to see life through the eyes of his restoration. Your pain actually gives you the freedom or the power to comfort others. Your fear gets swallowed up in God's strength. Your anxiety is quieted because he's in control. Right? So what goes on is there was a time you looked at people to save you, and they failed. And boy, did that hurt. But now, as God restores your spirit, you look up to the God of the universe who greets you every morning with new gifts and greater mercy And you get excited about what God is up to in your life. Because he's healing you and he's also restoring you. Our our text says he restores your life from the pit. Which is an Old Testament expression for the grave. But if you've ever thought that your life was over. Okay. This concept is for you. 
God is bringing back your life from destruction. All right? And that goes both ways. Whether somebody threw you in the pit or you just tripped there and got there on your own. All right? Do you ever feel like maybe you couldn't live down the shame or the embarrassment or the injustice? And yet God insists that he does that for you. He restores your image and your reputation and your future through his power. Maybe not in the eyes of everyone you've ever known, but in his eyes, which are the only ones that matter. If you're studying First Peter with us, you know this. He says, just like Jesus was rejected by men, by the larger culture, but he was embraced and exalted by the Father, that's your position as well. Yes, there may be people that never like you. They constantly push you away. But the Father says, in that moment, I want you to remember that I found you when you were broken and I chose you. And I call you precious. And that hasn't changed regardless of that phone call you just had five minutes ago. Right? We need this. We need to feel restored in his eyes. You are not who your friends think you are. You're not who your teachers said you were. You're not what your parents said when they were really frustrated. They're all wrong. God knows the truth. He knows that you are glorious, but not because of your work or power, but because of what he's doing and where you're going to end up. And you need to believe this. And once again, I need to invite you to look at this until you have a physical response. Right? If you're sitting and saying, oh, that's kind of interesting, you haven't gotten it. When you get to the place your heart sings with praise, you understand. Let this reality eclipse the pain. Now, um, our passage goes on. It says, God wants to satisfy you and renew your strength so that you are strong like the eagle, soaring and free. This is the plan of a good father. God doesn't want you changed to the past. You recognize that, right? He doesn't want you chained to hurt that you caused or that was done to you. He wants you to thrive. And so God restores us through a living hope and an eternal word that changes the way you look at life. Look at verse 6. It says that God brings justice to the oppressed. He brings guidance to the lost, verse 7. He greets us every day with mercy, grace, patience, and faithful love, in verse 8. And I get it. Some of you feel marginalized. Some of you feel weak. You feel abandoned or forgotten or maybe written off. You're looking at finite, flawed people. And if you're looking for significance from finite, flawed people, they're always, always going to disappoint you. But if you're looking uh, for validation based on your works, right? I'll show them. I'll just be better than that. Okay, okay. If you're looking to validate yourself... Can I just remind you, you have a broken, sinful body, and it's not going to work. Yeah, you'll have, you'll have flashes of momentary brilliance, and you'll come crashing down, because nobody gets it all right all the time. The older folks in this room are nodding. They know. So my younger friends, believe them, right? So if you look out for people to say that you're important, it's not going to happen. If you lean on your own strength, let me show you how important I am. Not going to work. All right? But your life will be transformed when you look up to God and believe his word and invite him to heal you. He's done the work to rescue you. 
He's working out all human history for good. You just need to believe him. (laughs) We're losing the war in the only place that matters, which is our our minds. If you're afraid, uh, you're forgetting God, right? Um, Or I should say you are forgetting God. If you're anxious or shamed or lonely or bitter or overworked, you're just forgetting what God insists is true. You are chosen, loved, protected, and free. So where do we go with all of this? Well, once those realities settle in and alter the course of your thoughts, it allows you to forgive, right? We've taken a long time, well, in terms of this message, um, to believe what God says about you. But you've got to believe that before you can begin reconciling your own failures or forgiving the people that hurt you. Look at verse 15 with me. For as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, and the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place is known no more. But the steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. On his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God rules over all. So believe him and let him do its work. It's time to apply this truth. And we start here that Christ's blood covers all sin, which means you've you got to forgive yourself for the past. Right? It doesn't make any sense for you to continue condemning or punishing yourself for something that God says is forgiven, right? Jesus said it is finished on the cross, and he meant it. God says it's covered and forgotten. So would you let God have the final word, right? And when you believe that, now it frees you to go back and apologize. It frees you to go back and to reconcile. Now, fixing a mistake that we made is not easy, but it is actually pretty straightforward, right? You go, you apologize, and then you start working through the difficulty of starting to rebuild trust. And it's the gospel that continues to fuel that so that you endure and don't give up. It's the gospel that that fills your heart with love so you keep serving people who largely have written you off. That process is easy. Forgiving when you're the one hurt, is actually a much more complex process. So I'd like to spend the rest of our time there, okay? Perhaps you're saying in your mind, I can't forgive. I'm not prepared to forgive those people who have hurt me in the past. And let me tell you why. Because not once have they ever acknowledged how much they've hurt me. And not once have they asked to be forgiven. So how on earth do you begin the process of forgiving people when it seems like every day the pain and the consequences of their selfishness comes back and stares you in the face? That's a good question. Okay. Here's the truth. God did not wait for the world to seek reconciliation before he began healing and showing love. He came in love. And he finished his work. And now his spirit pursues each of us in love to overcome our resistance. Right? So if you look at Jesus, realize the initiative was all on him. So if you're waiting for someone else to move 
before you start healing, you might be waiting, oh, I don't know, a very, very long time. All right? Now, I need to promise you something. Just think about your own heart. Jesus is not waiting for a selfish sinner to move before he starts healing your heart. It's just not how this works. Okay? He wants to begin the process, and he wants to begin it now. Now, I know, we tend to withhold the concept of forgiveness because we feel like if I forgive that person, it will minimize what they've done for me as if it was no big deal or if it's like it's just forgotten. Now we've just all moved on as if it didn't happen. That's not true. I know how it feels, but that's not reality. All right? We nurse our hurt. And we replay every detail because we want to make the case in our minds why someone is so much to blame. We become the judge. And we've got this airtight case that we are just waiting to foist at somebody. Or maybe you practice that with your friends or neighbors, right? You won't believe what they did. They tell you why they're such a sufferable jerk. And you just, you just go through the bullet items. And maybe you have a point. I don't know. But you keep that case razor sharp. And you make yourself the judge and you've already passed condemnation and you're just terrified that somebody is going to take that away from you. And you're going to lose your standing as the right one. And the other person is going to lose that standing as the, as the wrong one. Right? We have made the case. We know how much they should pay because of how much we hurt. And the truth is they don't know how much they hurt us. So we're keeping a list. And someday we're going to tell them. We assume... That somehow, if we let go of that anger, if we let go of that bitterness, that the perpetrator will get off scot-free. Now, I just want you to think about that logic. Right? We harbor hurt because we believe if we allow God to heal our hearts, that person will never see justice. We believe that we can't heal until an extraordinarily selfish person finally decides to apologize and make things right. I understand. I get it. Pain is deep. And I hope, I hope, and just trying to, to give words to feelings that you can see that the problem is not just you and it's not just the guilty party. You've got to bring God into this picture or you're very much at an impasse. Right? They're not going to come back to you and try to make things right, and you're stuck in pain. We, we've got to find a way to move forward that doesn't involve uh, the impossible. So, I want to remind you, God is the one who is the righteous judge. We read that in verses 15 to 19. His throne is over all, and he promises no sin ever has gone unpunished. God doesn't minimize your pain or take the fault against you lightly. In fact... He sent Jesus to die for that exact offense. It was heinous. It was horrible. One of his children was violated. And he said the penalty for that is death. Eternal death. But he sent his son to pay that penalty for what was done against you. And then he ruled in your case. He did declare that your tormentor deserved death, but he paid the penalty himself. And you see what God wants to do is restore you and his world. And he knows the people that hurt you can't clean up the mess. Seriously, for some of the things that you guys brought to mind, what would it take to restore that? You say, I can't go back. It's been 40 years. It's been a long time. And if they came and committed their lives and all of their money, they couldn't fix what they stole. Isn't that true? It is true. 
And so God walks into the middle of that devastation and says, but I can fix this. I can bring justice. I can bring restoration. Right? The people who hurt you may not even be capable of apologizing, either because they're too deluded, too selfish, or they're not around anymore, which is a problem. Because if you're nursing hurt for someone that can't fix the problem or refuses to, you're stuck. And God doesn't want you stuck. So trust God to understand and heal and empower you. And that takes us here, that God's work enables our forgiveness. You see, the big problem, as I've said before, is not just the initial fault. It's that there's these ongoing consequences to other people's sin. And perhaps, yes, you say, I forgave and I forgot the initial thing. But every time it comes up, I just get so angry. I hurt. And we get tripped up because we continue to suffer. And so I need to invite you to forgive people, not just for the past, but for the ongoing consequences. The nightmares, the insecurity, the financial loss. Any other lingering consequences? There's an author, her name is Lisa Turkist, and she faced enormous emotional pain in her life, first with a a childhood history of sexual abuse, and then her husband's adultery. And she's an author, so she writes somewhat extensively, and she wrote about a breakthrough she had where a counselor invited her to fill out three-by-five cards and write every pain, every specific. She said she filled up his office. The cards went down the hall. Right? Not just for initial encounters, but all the pain that came because of those things, all the consequences. And then he handed her a stack of red felt and said, cover them up and pray over them. And she said something like this. I forgive my husband for betraying my trust. And whatever my feelings don't yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover. And she writes card after card. I had a moped marked moment of forgiveness, emptying my heart of all the heavy facts of what happened. It's not that these things were erased from my memory, but by doing this one fact at a time, it freed me from carrying all of those unspoken facts, which had become tangled up in one huge mess that felt way too big to forgive. She goes on to explain, my pain didn't need to be validated by my husband or vindicated by anyone else. It just needed to be verbalized, spoken out loud, acknowledged, and recognized as real, brought out into the light. It's not the end of the process, but for her it was the beginning. Now, this book was newly published. It was published this week, actually. Um, I've read many books this year. I, I do want to insist this is the best book I've read all year. Right now, uh, number four on Amazon. It may go to number one as far as book sales. And I think what that says, not just that she's a very gifted author, but also there's a critical need for this message in this moment. And I would like to suggest perhaps if this message has resonated with you at all and say, okay, well, that's that's a start, but there's so much more to say. Yeah, there is, but I only have a limited amount of time. And what I... Perhaps that God wants to use this very broken and extremely talented author to show us a way from the Bible and from her experience a way forward. There's so much more to say. But as I listened to her words and I thought about my past and how God has healed me and what I'm still working through, I thought of some of you as well. And some of you, I'm convinced, are stuck. You're bitter, you're angry, you're defeated. And perhaps nobody even knows your struggle. We just see you and we wonder why 
Things are so hard for you. We see a lack of joy. We see confusion. We see isolation. And maybe we don't see it all. We just treat you like you're fine. But you know. Not a week goes by without that coming back. And I want to invite you to let God heal your heart and to free the harbored hurt and the unresolved conflicts and the lies and the betrayal and the loss. And I'm inviting you not to wait for someone else to rescue you when Jesus stands and he's calling you now. He can heal you. He can make you strong. So let me just end with with some lines, some more lines from Lisa's book. She said, I had to separate my healing from any of this being fair. My ability to heal cannot be conditional on the other person receiving adequate consequences for their disobedience, but only on my obedience to trust God's justice, whether I ever see it or not. My healing is my choice. I can heal. I can forgive. I can trust God. And none of these beautiful realities are being held hostage by another person. Healing will take time, but I must move forward towards it if I ever hope to get there. And forgiveness is a good step in the right direction. Not just good, but necessary. When we don't move forward, we get stuck in our hurt. Unable to escape the grip of that threatening pain. Trauma takes root. And when we keep reliving what happened in our minds over and over again, we keep experiencing the trauma as if it's happening in the present time. And time comes to a screeching halt and our hearts race wildly with unpredictable and terrifying, uncontrollable pulses. And our brain keeps sounding an eternal alarm and we're no longer safe. And this is helpful for a time as we need to get ourselves out of immediate danger. But remaining in this mode long term was definitely not healthy. We eventually need to move towards a state of healing. We eventually need to get to a place where we stop replaying over and over What hurts us? Friends, God is inviting you to find forgiveness and to forgive others through his infinite, faithful love. Now, if you've not been rescued by Jesus, if you say, wow, you know what? I don't have a God that's that big in my life that could even begin to do that. I want to talk to you. You could embrace Christ today saying, God, I've been trying to make life work on my own. I've been trying to figure out this mess and I I can't do it. If you'll give your life to Christ, he'll rescue you and he'll begin that restoration. That could happen today. If you're here and you say, you know, I, I do know Jesus. He's my savior. I'm in the family. I feel his presence. But there's some work to do. And would you just lovingly talk to the father and start with whatever you're feeling. Say, God, would you show me the next step? Uh, there's something unresolved in my heart or there's something I need to fix. It's a relationship that's, that's struggling and I want to show them your beauty. Let's take a moment. All of us talk to the Father about where we're at and then I'll lead us together.